Principal Matters Podcast, episode 277. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I want to share lessons in leadership from a colonial midwife. Last week, a principal wrote to tell me that he was just beginning school and already was covering classes for nine absent teachers. And just a few days later, I was talking to a principal who was short 25 teachers and staff as they wrapped up their first week back from Christmas. And just this week, in my own community, one of our elementary schools closed for the remainder of the week, uh, missing 15% of its workforce due to outbreaks in COVID. And sadly, just when we thought we were returning to some sense of normalcy in this school year, educators are once again doing the hard work, rescheduling bus routes and rearranging classroom coverage and pivoting to online learning. And if no one has told you yet for these first few days of 2022, thank you for the hard work that you are already doing serving your school communities. One of the goals that I've made in this school year is to pay less attention to social media and more attention to enriching my reading. And so even as I'm doing work, staying connected with what's happening in schools, I've also just finished my first book in my reading list for 2022. And I wanted to take a minute and just have you take a break with me from COVID and pandemic controls to just thinking about what are some of the lessons that we've learned from those who have gone before us. One of the books that I just finished reading recently was The Life of Martha Ballard, based on her diary from 1785 to 1812. And I'll place a link to that book in the show notes and in the post that accompanies this on my website at williamdparker.com. I enjoyed listening to the audio version of this read by Susan Erickson. But what sparked my interest in reading this book was recognizing that when it comes to classics and history, especially early American history, I have almost exclusively read male authors, except for a few poems by Anne Bradstreet or Phyllis Wheatley and some letters from Abigail Adams. Most of the primary documents that I've read from that time period have been from men. And so as I already stepped into the beginning of 2022, this was on my reading list as a goal for this month, and it's only the middle of January, and I've already finished it. So this week, I just wanted to share some quick lessons from the life of Martha Ballard. You may be asking, well, what would the life of a midwife have to do with leadership? A lot. And if you've listened to any of my past episodes, you can go back to either interviews that I've done with others, education leaders, or other books that I've reviewed in past episodes as well. But this week, I just want to share with you seven lessons that stood out to me from the life of a midwife. Now, the story of Martha Ballard as a midwife was brought to life by the historian Laurel Thatcher Ulrich in 1991, and it shines a light on the past experiences from Ballard's diary, giving us the accounts of an American healer, first of all, but then secondly, the unique perspective of a daughter, mother, and grandmother of the late 18th century in Maine. And of the seven lessons that I want to pull out from this, here are those lessons in short, and then I'm going to unpack each of them. Number one, Ballard's unique lens as a woman 
highlights the life of women, not just men, is central to community life in our history. Two, women healers had more access and credibility among many medical practitioners in the early parts of our history than even 50 years later. Three, in Ballard's world, opportunities for livelihood were built both on reliability and work and in community networks. Four, the good old days of colonial America were also the bad old days, including horrible situations like rape, murder, and insurrection. Five, just like today, local faction and politics influenced change as well as divided communities. Six, Ballard's stories inspired future generations of women in medicine, including Claire Barton, the future founder of the American Red Cross. And number seven, many great people have not been and will not be recognized or celebrated in this life, but it doesn't subtract from the importance of their influence. So let me just take a moment to share a few thoughts on each of those points. Number one, Ballard's unique lens as a woman highlights that the life of women, not just men, were central in early American community life. As a midwife, Martha Ballard had a front row seat in her community, and her diary details the births, deaths, sicknesses, and sometimes the drama of most of the people in her community in the township of Hallowell on the Kennebec River, which is now part of Augusta, Maine. She herself lost three of her nine children to a diphtheria epidemic, and her diary includes the common fates of so many of her community members in a time before vaccinations and in a time when physicians still believed that bloodletting was a great medical remedy. Martha's stories were also about wonderful experiences like weddings and church goings and family gatherings and gardening and quilting and other pastimes that brought people together. But unlike other diaries from men during that time period, hers includes the names of women in their community and the stories that they played and the parts that they played in managing homes as well as livelihoods of their own. Number two, women healers like Ballard had often more access and credibility among medical practitioners than even women in later American history. Surprisingly, local physicians included Martha and other midwives in autopsies and dissections in which she participated in dozens. In fact, I believe the book said 80 or more. Just 50 years later, the historian Laura Thatcher Ulrich explained that this practice was almost exclusively limited to men. And although in early colonial times, women were primarily involved in birthing services, that practice became more and more controlled by men physicians over the next decades. Ballard delivered 816 babies and was present for more than a thousand births in her 27 years of service. But it wasn't until 1849, 37 years after her death, that the first woman became a physician in American history, Elizabeth Blackwell. And it wasn't until the 1870s, 58 years after Ballard's death, that it became more common for women to be allowed admission in medical schools. Number three, in Ballard's world, opportunities for livelihood were built on reliability and community networks. This is an important point because I think it's important for us to recognize that our work is also connected to our service to communities. Ballard averaged more than 30 births a year in her practice, and as the community grew, so did the request for her presence. But at the same time, she was earning daily wages that were equivalent to what her husband earned as a surveyor. 
Together, they ran a profitable homestead with children and servants helping them manage family affairs while mom and dad worked inside and outside the home. But as they aged, Martha and her husband Ephraim began to marry off their children. They began to receive less work, and eventually Ephraim was arrested for debt. He served time at the town's debtor's prison for more than a year, and it was noteworthy in this part of the diary that Martha began to suffer. Only after his release from prison were they able to once again establish their services, but by this time she was in her late 70s and he was in his early 80s. So even though she was a reliable, hardworking, practicing midwife, as she aged and their family and their communities changed, she not only experienced good times, but she experienced difficult times too. Number four, the good old days of colonial America were also bad old days. Ballard's diary shows the realities of life for Martha and her neighbors. And although there are many quaint scenes of quilting gatherings and barn raisings, it also chronicles some horrible misdeeds, including the alleged rape of her minister's wife, the mass murder of six members in a neighboring family by a deranged husband and father, an attempted insurrection from settlers against their town's authorities. Martha's own family suffered difficulties with a son who was often arrested or involved in lawsuits. So for as many happy moments that Martha experienced, she also lived through an equal amount of difficulty and community trauma. Number five, just like today, local factions and politics influence change as well as divided communities. Martha's diary details disagreements that also existed in that community, disagreements over theology that split the town's church into separate congregation. Years later, the township saw even more division among its religious observers with congregationalists and Methodists and Universalists all gathering around separate beliefs. And these divisions touched Martha's life directly as she was friends and midwife to people from all of these walks of life. She served as a witness in court to the accused rape of her minister's wife. In addition to religious disputes, neighbors often sued one another over property disputes. And as settlers expanded into the territory, violence erupted between them. Bands of settlers began dressing in animal skins and disguising themselves or driving off surveyors, shooting at interlopers, and in some cases, killing them. And although much of Ballard's diary includes daily chores and births and gardening and items purchased, the history she experienced was not always tranquil or peaceful. Number six, Ballard's story inspired future generations of women in medicine, specifically Kara Barton, who is the founder of the American Red Cross, the future granddaughter of Ballard's sister. The fact that the diary survived till today is surprising. For years, it was handed down within the family, and it was her granddaughter, Martha Hobart, who inherited it in 1884 after she had completed medical school. Later, Clara Barton, Martha's granddaughter, founded the American Red Cross in 1881. The family donated the diary to the main state library in 1930, and it was 30 years before it was copied and published in the 1960s. But it was Laura Thatcher Ulrich's publication in 1991 that I just finished reading that won a Pulitzer Prize for bringing that story to life with all of the other history surrounding it. The diary provides a unique glimpse into the work and medicinal practices of a pioneer woman healer. And last, number seven, many great people have not been and will not be recognized or celebrated in this life, but it doesn't subtract from the importance of their influence. 
The story of Martha Ballard is a great reminder that every day normal people are serving the needs of others. If she hadn't left her diary behind, much less would be known about the practices of midwives from that colonial period. More importantly, little would have been known about the lives of women in general from a first-person account of a life that touched so many people in one community. As Thatcher wraps up the summary of Martha Ballard's life in the book, she reminds readers that history is full of people who are known for starting wars or other situations that create a sense of disruption to peace. But much less is known about those who practice healing and peace on a daily basis, blessing their neighbors and communities who some of us never hear about. So what does this story about a midwife have to do with leadership? Well, here's some important truths to keep in mind. First, leadership is not leadership unless someone is following someone else. And when you think about a life like Martha Ballard's, it's easy to see that her influence came from her skills as well as her reputation. Her life was filled with drama and tragedy and conflicts in both her family and her community. But throughout it all, she was an example of a life well-lived, of a person who showed up every day, who lived out what it means to serve others one day at a time, to restrain from harsh judgments towards her neighbors, and to move forward each day in ways that she could serve and control beyond what was happening around her. So how might this affect the work that we do in schools and as educators? Someday, people may or may not look back on the service that you're doing right now with perspective. Most of us will never be known outside the circles of our influence. And sometimes that service may be unnoticed or misunderstood. I bet it's safe to say that right now, you have been unrecognized or shown ungratitude, especially when it comes to the ways that I've seen schools and school principals being treated during a pandemic. But this work does come with small tokens of gratitude. For the most part, leaders serve regardless of the feedback that they receive. It's the task before them that provides them the opportunity to help. But as you continue serving, remember that your small acts of giving and caring and instructing and supporting, they may not be written in a history book, but they are leaving behind a legacy in the important ways that you're touching the lives of those right in front of you. Just this afternoon, I was on a phone call with a principal who was relaying to me the difficulties and challenges that his students have been facing coming back into this school year, recovering from two years of disruption, and the hard work that he and his teachers and admin teams are doing on a daily basis to target student learning, to provide the services that they need. And it is not easy. But even in the craziness of managing school during a pandemic, he's keeping in mind that the unseen actions and sacrifices and communications, they still matter. Because at the end of the day, those small actions on a daily basis they move the needle, and moving forward, they make a difference. So as a fellow educator, as a parent who's watching his own child in and out of school, I, I see and I appreciate what you're doing. Please don't let the loud voices of the few outweigh the, the sensibility of the quieter members of your communities. Right now, hundreds of others in your school community are quietly recognizing the difference that you're making. And if they're not, they will, because someday history will reveal 
the untold stories. And whether anyone knows it or not, what you're doing still matters. As I've shared this week, some of my thoughts from recent reading. Next week, I'm going to be jumping into a conversation with Jen Schwanke as we're going to be talking about ways that principals can be supporting teachers through difficult times. And in the weeks ahead, obviously, I'll be bringing you interviews with other education leaders. But until next time, I hope that you can walk away with those small lessons from the life of a colonial midwife and that you'll continue to do work that matters. As always, you can find free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com. If you're interested in any of the PD that I'm doing with schools and school leaders and educators, you can reach out and email me with questions or feedback at will at williamdparker.com. Hope you have a great week. Thanks for doing what matters. We'll talk to you soon.